Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Thank you, Pastor Brian. Happy New Year! 2022, January 2nd, 2022. Crazy, isn't it? January uh, last year was a lot different. So we're looking forward to something bigger and better. Last year was pretty destructive to a lot of people. Talking to Pastor Tim, we'd normally do a birthday acknowledgement, anniversary acknowledgement, uh, acknowledgement the first Sunday of the month, and we failed to do that last month, so we missed December. So we're going to do December and January today, okay? So if you had a birthday in December, okay, how, did you have an anniversary in December? December, December there, would you like to share with us how long you've been married? 36 years. Praise the Lord for that. Congratulations. You folks? 40. That's a milestone. Good job. All right. Now, how about January birthdays? So we have some January birthdays. How about January anniversaries? And how long have you been married? Eight years. Well, congratulations. Any other anniversaries? Happy birthday to you all, okay? So we're just going to sing happy birthday, dear Christian, right? So ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Christians. Happy birthday to you. You know, you do that with your family, and we're family here, and so it's just nice to acknowledge those little things and stuff and uh, share life together. So in a preparation for New Year's, um, I won't even ask, but people who have made New Year resolutions, most of the time they've already broken them by now, okay, but they fade away in their importance, and they're good things to do. Most people, you know, they want to exercise more. They want to lose weight. They want to get healthier. They're going to do this and that. And those are all good things, and I encourage you to do them because they're good things to do. But what I want to encourage you today with is I want to recite an old poem that I came across years ago. It goes like this. It says, Boys, lie, boys fly kites like long-tailed birds, but it's not so easy when you're flying words. Be careful with words, or be careful with fire is good advice, we know, but be careful with words is ten times doubly so. For thoughts unexpressed often fall back to earth dead, but God himself can't kill them once they've been said. You know, I want to give you a piece of advice that I came across years ago, too, and it says, you do not have to attend every argument you're invited to. Okay? So, in preparation for that, I give you one of my life verses, James chapter 1, verse 19. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Amen? That will keep you from a lot of arguments. Okay? So that's my gift to you this year. So today we're going to go through the, God, or the 
Epistle Ephesians, chapter 1. We're going to go through verses 1 through 14. But what I would like to do is I would like to introduce you to an old friend that I brought with me today. My old friend, we met in 1979. I have no idea how, but we met. And we've been best friends ever since. This friend has kept me from the pit of despair. This friend has been a lifeline when I've fallen off the cliffs of life. It has been a life preserver when drowning in the sea of sorrows. But most important, it has been like a warm blanket on a dark, cold, depressing night. It has been my dearest friend. Okay? And so I would ask you to indulge me as I read from my friend, which is a 1966 Schofield Study Bible. And it is in King James. Okay? So let me read to you, because I know most of you have probably an ESV version or such. So let me read the Word of God to you this morning. Would you stand with me? Here we go. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love, have predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to his good pleasure and will, to the praise and the glory of his grace wherewith he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who for word of truth, the God who were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchase until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning in humble adoration by the authority and the will that you've provided us through your shed blood. We approach you as our friend and our loved one and our beloved. And we ask that you would give us ears to hear what you have to speak to us today, Holy Spirit. 
Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts that we may behold your majesty and your glory. Make your presence known in this place today. May your name be lifted on high and may you draw all of us to you this morning. And may you and you alone receive all the glory. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus and everyone said, amen. Please be seated. So starting off our text, it starts, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are in Ephesus and to the faithful. So we have here the introduction, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. You know, Pastor Tim has shared with us many times that he came to salvation and his relationship with Jesus Christ in his bedroom at Lyot alone because he had a prickling. He had a sense of a need. And some of us have fallen on terrible times that we reached out in desperation with no other lifeline to hang on to and cried out, please save me. But Paul here, he says, by the will of God. And we know Paul's life by reading in the Acts of the Apostles. And in that in that history book, it tells us that Paul was on the road to Damascus to acquire more Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem to, for them to stand trial. We first meet of Saul of Tarsus at the execution of Stephen, which he stood in acknowledgement and agreement and held the coats of those who murdered Stephen. And here he was going to get more Christians to bring him back. But something happened to him in chapter 9, verse 5 of the book of Acts, where he says that on the way a bright light shone and he was thrown to the ground and heard a voice that said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? To which Saul said, who are you, Lord? And the voice said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Why are you kicking against the goads? So Paul was going to get Christians. He wasn't going after Jesus. He was going after Christians because in Galatians chapter 1, it tells us that he was an, a, a Pharisee of Pharisee. He was zealous for the traditions of his fathers. He grew mighty in the law. And he was making a name for himself. And he had a hatred for anybody because he thought that that was in that. And he was going to kill them to stop that because he thought that that was an abomination to the God that he served. But Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? You see, Paul may not have ever met Jesus personally, but he was well aware that Jesus was crucified. He was well aware of what took place in Jerusalem. And so, history books, not even the Bible, tell us that he did many marvelous and wonderful things. If it's even lawful to consider him a man, is what Josephus, the historian, said. And so he had done all these wonderful things. Pontius Pilate said to him, this man has done nothing. 
He's guilty of nothing, so what? Why don't I let him go? And they said, no, 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 crucify him. So Jesus says to him, why are you persecuting me? And then he says something real interesting. He says, why are you kicking against the goads? And we've, most of us have grown up and we've heard, oh, well, that was, those were sticks that were put on the harnesses and such for the mules and the oxen that were pulling the carts so that they keep them from kicking and keep them going in the right direction. But I want you to turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. Okay, it's right, the next book after Proverbs. And we know that Proverbs, the majority of Proverbs, was written by Solomon, which is reported to be the wisest man who ever lived. And then he concludes with chapter Ecclesiastes. And the book of Ecclesiastes concludes with chapter 12. And chapter 12, beginning in verse 8, it says, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. All is vanity, and moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. Verse 11, the words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by and further, by these, my son, be admonished of making many books. There is no end, and much study is a wearisome matter of the flesh. Verse 13 says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment and every secret thing, whether it is good or whether it be evil. So, the word goads. Verse 11 says that the words of the wise are as goads. The word goad, the Hebrew word for it is pl, which means to teach or to instruct. Okay? Paul grew up his whole life from first, from up to five years old. The male children in the Jewish culture were schooled in memorizing the first five books of the Old Testament. From five years old to 10 years old, they studied the law. Those that excelled in it, from that age on, after 10, they then went and met for private instruction with rabbis. And we know that the Jewish custom is, at 13 years old, boys are bar mitzvah. Bar, son of, mitzvah, the commandments. They became men at that point in time, and they were responsible for all that they had learned. So Paul had learned very well, and he went on to study with Gamaliel, one of the greatest rabbis of the time, and he was excelling in everything. And in Galatians, it says that he was incredibly zealous for the traditions of his fathers, and that's what he was going to Damascus to get those terrible Christians because everything that they did caused him to kick against the goads. The instruction that he had grown with and learned by, he had misapplied. He stood by with the murdering of Stephen, the fourth commandment. 
of the Ten Commandments is, Thou shall not murder. And they murdered Stephen. They murdered Jesus. And that was okay because they were opposing their traditions. He was kicking against the goads. God knew his heart. God knows every one of our hearts in this room. He knows what we need. He knows what our problems are. He knows our afflictions. And he knows we're kicking against the goads. And he will hear, as it says in Ecclesiastes, he will bring every deed into, into light. The things that were done were evil. The things that were done were good. And so here he rescues Paul from that life. And he sets his heart free because he's the good shepherd. And John's gospel tells us that Jesus is the good shepherd and he knows his sheep and his sheep know his voice. And it says, and the, those that whom the Son sets free are free indeed. So he set Paul free. The man who was going to kill those nasty, terrible people was the same man who wrote 1 Corinthians 13, that of these the three that remain is faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. He's the man whose heart was set free to become who he was created to be. In Galatians where he says that Jesus was revealed to him and set him apart from his mother's womb. Isn't that amazing? And so all that time he had been kicking against the goads. But we in this room kick against the goads, don't we? Oh, it's, you know, I don't like those people. And, you know, I, I don't need to go to church because I can read my Bible and such. And the word tells us, do not forsake the meeting of one another together. Cooking against, kicking against the goads. Well, you know, I, I, I know that the, I'm not supposed to be doing these things, but, you know, it's okay because blah, blah, blah. Kicking against the goads. Oh, those Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. They are. So what? So are you. Kicking against the goads. God knew Paul's heart. He knew Paul's heart, and he set him free to do what was in his heart. Because Paul loved God. He sincerely was devoted, but his actions were sincerely wrong, weren't they? And so he set him free to become what he was created to be, and that's what he is asking and longing and wanting to do for us. Set you free to become the person you were created to be. You know, there's no saying that says we're created unique, we're born unique but we die a copy because we're being conformed into this world. We watch TV, the things we read, the people we associate, we're conforming to something. Even, even the great uh, poet and songwriter Bob Dylan said, you got to serve somebody. You're going to serve somebody. Who's it going to be? Joshua said, you know, Choose you this day who you're going to serve. But as for me and my family, I'm going to serve the Lord. So decide who it is. Stop kicking against the goads. Okay? So let's move on with this. Let's go back to our text in Ephesians. So this is Paul, the apostle, 
by the will of God. And verse 2, he says, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace. Grace. Grace changes everything. Grace, we know, is God's unmerited favor. Getting what you don't deserve. That's what we are. We're under grace. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. New every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. But I ask, if, if mercy is new every morning... Shouldn't grace be new as well? Is grace a one-time thing that we receive at some point in time, but we don't need it anymore? How many of us in this room haven't made a mistake in the last 15 hours? The last 20 years of your life. Paul writes later in chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians, it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not even of yourself. It's not your faith. It was a gift of God that you should not boast. You didn't have anything to do with it. That's grace. And when grace comes, what comes next? Peace. How many people in this room need peace? How many of us need grace? to get through the day. It changes everything. It changes everything. When you feel grace, when somebody provides you with grace, peace comes, joy comes, happiness comes because it's changed everything. So he says to them, grace and peace be to you, the saints in Ephesus, Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ. So we weren't there in Ephesus, were we? but we're to the faithful in Christ. So this is to you, grace and peace to every one of you in this room. Every one of you. Turn to your neighbor and say grace and peace to you. Shalom. I mean, it seems kind of silly, but doesn't it feel good? Doesn't it feel good to say that? And you have the authority and the gift and the ability to do that every day of your life. What a difference you could make in the world, isn't it? You see, Paul had set his life up on this one-way track. His career was set. He was going to be the Pharisee of Pharisees, the rabbi of rabbis. But Jesus changed all that, didn't he? Set him free to do what he should have been and could have been. You would have never known or heard of Saul of Tarsus. But you know who Paul is, don't you? God took that heart and used it to write the majority of the New Testament. You know, it's a fascinating book. It's a fascinating book. You know, there's two authors to this book. No, you say there's 66 books, you know. So there's like 40 authors, wasn't there? There's 40 authors, but every one of those authors had a co-author. That's called confluent. When two people, human author, and you have the divine author, and they wrote this book, 
And Paul tells us that all Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we have this. But then there's this other aspect of literature and hermeneutics. It's called, it's called um, stasis pinor, which means the heavenly author intended things that the, the earthly author knew nothing about. And that's what we get when we read the Word of God. That's why it's so important to do that. That's why it's important not to listen to it, somebody else read it. It's important for us to read it ourselves because that's how God communicates with us. Okay? And so he says here, grace and peace. And then he goes on, and from verses 3 through 14 are the blessings. Church, and this is what I'm here to bring to you. The blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that the Word of God says that there's one mediator between man and God, and that's the man Christ Jesus. So as mediator, God was his God. As the Son, the second person of the Trinity, God was his Father. And as being an heir and a co-creator because the John chapter 1 tells us that in him and through him everything was created. So as the creator, he has the authority to give what he will. And it says here that he's given us all spiritual blessings. Okay? When we talk about blessings, we talk about, oh gosh, you know, God give me a new job. Bless me with a new job. God brought some people into my life. God blessed me this way. God blessed me that way. They're all material. God does bless materially, doesn't he? Provides some people with health, some people with wealth, and some people with both, and some people with neither. But those are, those are physical things. Here he's talking about spiritual things, all spiritual blessings. Now, here is where we need to pay attention, folks, because we think of ourselves as human beings having a spiritual experience, don't we? Oh, yeah, they had a spiritual experience, but it didn't last. It wore off, and now they're back doing what they were doing before. But the reality of it is, folks, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. We're spiritual beings having a human experience. The Garden of Eden, God told them, do whatever you want. Everything is yours. Just don't do this one thing or you'll surely die. And they did that one thing. And what happened? They died spiritually. And the disintegration of their bodies began. began. Second law of thermodynamics is entropy. Everything is wearing out. Whenever it's created, it's on the way out. As soon as you're born, you're heading for death. So they died spiritually, right? When the Son of Man came on the scene, changed everything. Changed everything. You remember with the paralytic in the Gospels, and they were bringing the paralyzed man to him, but they couldn't get into the house, so they had to climb up on the roof, and they had to tear the roof apart and let him down, right? And when he got down there, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. 
And they went, well, that's not really what we brought him for. You know, we brought him for you to heal. And Jesus, knowing their hearts, he said, asked them a question, which is easier for me to say, your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? They didn't ask. It was a rhetorical question because it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's no way to know if it's true. But he said, but for your sakes, I'm going to tell them, get up and take up your bed and walk. So why did he forgive him of his sins first? Because that's man's greatest need, his spiritual health, his spiritual restitution, being redeemed back to the Father from what he's been separated from. He's always interested in the spiritual first. We're always interested in the physical. We pray for the physical blessings, but do you ever pray for the spiritual blessings? Because the word right here tells us he's given them to us. They're available. Do you request those? Okay. Before I move on from this point, Ephesians, or excuse me, Thessalonians tells us that we are a trichotomy view of man, three parts of man. You are spirit, soul, and body. And I will guarantee you, you'll hear that verse quoted a hundred times, and 99 times they'll say body, soul, and spirit. You turn it backwards. It's spirit, soul, and body. Spirit is first, always first. Soul is second, body is last. That's just how we are. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. What was he first? My Savior. How many people make him Lord? Very few. That he's Lord of your life means he has authority and dominion over your life. Right? So, moving on here. Verse 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He has chosen us. When did he choose us? Before the foundation of the world. Was that before time? No, it was before time. It was before all of this. He chose you. Think about that. I mean, that is unbelievable. He chose you. He's given you all spiritual blessings, and he chose you before the foundation of the world that we should be holy. Does that say happy? You know, God's not really interested in making us happy, is he? He's interested in making us holy. And what happens when you become holy? You become happy because you're content. You're not longing after all of those things that won't bring you any fulfillment. They don't have any value to you anymore. You're not worried about what people think to you or about you. You're holy. He's asked us to be holy. He's done it all. In the Chronicles, Second Chronicles, it says, all that we've accomplished, you have done for us. Is that amazing? We didn't do it. Everything I've accomplished, God's done for it. That's pretty radical. So moving on here, he says, it's verse 6, to the praise and glory of his grace, wherewith 
he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Because of his grace, because of what he's done to us, he's made us acceptable. Acceptable to the beloved. I'm chosen. I've got all of the spiritual blessings. And now I'm acceptable. I don't have to do anything. He has done it all. Why? Because it's his good pleasure to do that. To Christ, who has done all this for us. How we say we love him as we chase after all of those things that we want. The desires, the careers, all of this stuff. That's fleeting and it's not bringing you any happiness and you can't keep it. It's amazing when we think about it, isn't it? And here as we start this new year off, when we have such hopes for the new year, let's put things right side up. Spiritual is first, gang. Spiritual has got to be first. And it's all here for us. Let's read on. It gets even better. He says in verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. So now he says, he's made known the mystery. What's the mystery? The mystery. Hebrews tells us that the angels long to look into these things. So it's a mystery to them. The mystery. He's already told us. We've been redeemed. We have been chosen. We have been predestinated. How does that work? By the blood of the Lamb. By the blood of the Lamb. He did it. We didn't do any of it. It's amazing. That's good news, isn't it? Good news is the gospel. The gospel is what? Jesus Christ came and died and, and your sins are forgiven. That's good news. But what I'm giving us right here, what we're reading, is this is what God has got for us. This is where we're going. There's a great song. I love this. It's like, you know, and it's evident that I'm on the road where I'm going, but I'm not, I haven't arrived there yet. But I'm a lot better than where I was. And so we're on the road. And then he says here in verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. In the dispensation or that portion of time, the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Isaiah chapter 40, when a great chapter 40, verse 11, a great song we used to sing that says, He has gathered his sheep like a shepherd, and he has gathered the young, the lambs in his arms and carried them in his bosom and has gently leaded those that are with young. He is like a shepherd who feeds his flock. Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The sheep know my voice. 
He has gathered. It says in Ecclesiastes, where we read earlier, right? And all that good, all that good news, all that information has come from one shepherd. The shepherd that called Paul on the road and said, why are you persecuting me? So in the fullness of time, he's gathering all that were in heaven and all that are on earth. Thessalonians, where he talks about the rapture, okay? It doesn't say the word rapture. It says caught up. We will be caught up to meet who? Them in the air. Who are them? The ones that have gone on before. So in fullness of time, he's bringing them with, from the heavens and with us on earth to be gathered together in him. This is exciting stuff, folks. We're talking about the rapture getting closer and closer. And here it's telling you that it's going to happen in the fullness of time. He knows when it's going to happen. But it's because of his good pleasure that he's gathering all of us, everything on earth and in, and in heaven together. Man, that's good news, isn't it? Have an amen on that. And in earth and in heaven. In verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. So not only do we have this incredible spiritual blessings and all this stuff, we've been adopted and we're now in the family of God, we have an inheritance. An inheritance. See, We weren't any part of God. When we were born again, as Alan taught on last week, John chapter 3, when he was talking to Nicodemus, the spiritual leader of Israel, and he says, you a spiritual leader and you don't know these things? Kicking against the goads. You got to be born again, man. For God is the spirit and those who worship him must, must worship in spirit and in truth. And a man must be born of the spirit and the water. So when that happens, you're now born into the family of God. See, if you hear that little quibble that people say, oh, we're all children of God. Well, according to John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, to those who received him, to those who believed in him, he gave the right to what? Become a child of God. So if you have to become, that means what? You weren't. So we're not all God's children. We're God's creation, but not his children. So now as a child of God, we have an inheritance now, when do you get an inheritance? When the one who wrote the will dies, right? That's when you get your inheritance. Did somebody die to leave us an inheritance? Somebody died in our place, didn't they? But he's alive. And as of being alive, he can give that inheritance to whoever he wants. But we are going to get that inheritance. That inheritance, verse 12, it says that we should be 
to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, talking to us, that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed. That's how you know you're a Christian. You were sealed. You were sealed with what? The Holy Spirit. Right? So when Pastor Tim was talking about the rapture question, is it pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib? ties right into this. That's where you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy is being sealed with the Holy Spirit, Thessalonians tells us that the man of lawlessness can't be revealed until the one who is holding up a bay is removed, and that is the Holy Spirit. So if you're a Christian, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, then either God has to remove the Holy Spirit from us, or he has to remove us. Because he said he would never leave us or forsake us, right? So we're sealed with that, the Holy Spirit of promise. In verse 14, which says, which in the earnest of our inheritance, or excuse me, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. So we're sealed with that until that time. And I just want to end by reading you something out of 1 Peter chapter 1. And this is one of my favorite scriptures. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says, or excuse me, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy have begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, Verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. So there's where your inheritance is, folks. It's reserved in heaven for you. Do we know what it is? We know what it isn't. It is incorruptible. It can never become less than it is. It is undefiled can never be polluted, and that fadeth not away means it's always going to be just as wonderful and marvelous every second for eternity. I mean, that's good news, isn't it? So this is what we have to look forward to. I'm not where I'm going, but I'm a lot better off than where I was, and where I'm heading is amazing. Worship team, would you come forward for us, please? We're going to partake of communion. As the worship team comes together, Paul has written in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 about communion. Communion, agape, the incredible time to come together. It began and is a reflection of what took place in Passover. In Exodus, when God brought all those plagues, and they had the Passover was the final one. The firstborn was going to die, unless you had the blood of the lamb on the post doorposts of the house. Then the angel of death would pass over your house and go to the next. 
And then in Exodus, Moses says, chapter 13, that you're going to come together every year and you're going to have a dinner. And this is what the dinner is going to be comprised of. Have you ever attended a Seder? The Seder is an amazing confirmation of what was it was supposed to be and what Jesus did for us. And in that amazing thing there, when the Seder took place, the Passover took place, the high priest would do two things. Number one, after they inspected the lamb and did all that stuff, they would then, after the ceremonies was finished and it was executed, he would, the high priest would say, it is finished. And then they would take the blood of the lamb and mix it with water and sprinkle it on the altar. And Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. And then a centurion took a spear and thrust it into his side. And what came out? Blood and water that was poured on the altar. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.